Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Ansaro, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. This week, shipments of the first vaccine to prevent SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes coronavirus disease 2019, began arriving for healthcare workers across the country, although it will be until at some point in 2021 for vaccines to reach all who want or need one. This week on Managed Care Cast, we speak with a healthcare executive of Kaiser Permanente, which released a series of guides to help its providers care for those affected by the pandemic. On this episode, Dr. Bishara Shuker, Senior Vice President and Chief Health Officer for Kaiser Permanente, talks about their COVID-19 social health playbook, which provides tools for how to screen patients for social determinants of health, gives ways to connect patients for help, and reviews how to conduct follow-ups to ensure their needs are met. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Shuker. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is uh, Bashara Shuker, and I serve as the Chief Health Officer um, at Kaiser Permanente, the largest not-for-profit integrated health system in the country. I'm a family physician by training, um, and I oversee our uh, portfolio here at Kaiser Permanente, uh, working on improving the health and well-being of our members, as well as the health and well-being of the communities where our members live. Can you explain a little bit about how COVID-19 has impacted your members and what you did in response? Well, as, as you know, Allison, um, you know, early this year when we started seeing um, the, the COVID-19 hit our communities and our members, we focused very early on on what would it take for us to make sure that we have mitigation measures within our um, hospitals, our medical office building uh, to contain the spread and make sure that we're providing our members with the top-notch clinical services. And very early on, we've realized that what our members were also struggling with was the ability to be able to address some of the social factors that are impacting their health. Um, You know, way before the pandemic, we knew that Um, members and people in this country are struggling with social needs, things like food insecurity, housing instability, issues with transportation, social isolation, or even the ability to pay their basic bills. And when the pandemic hit, we've realized that many of those members and many people across the country have seen an exacerbation of these social needs. So as we were stepping up to make sure that we're supporting our members and dealing with the pandemic, we realized that we have to accelerate our work to deal with all these social factors that are impacting their health that got exacerbated by the pandemic. So you released something called the COVID-19 social health playbook. And is that meant for internal employee communications or is it meant for external anyone in the country who wants to use it to learn how to do this better? Well, right as we started the, um, the um, putting our protocols in place to be able to deal with the pandemic, um, our uh, physicians put together 
our clinical playbook, you know, COVID-19 clinical playbook that really provide the protocols and the support for our clinicians across the system and all of our footprint to be able to support our members dealing with the pandemic. And we've realized that that clinical playbook need to have a parallel or a sister playbook, if you want, that's really focusing on the social health of our members as they're dealing with, uh, with COVID-19. So we've assembled a team of, um, of leaders within the organizations that looked at when someone is testing positive for COVID, how are we treating their symptoms clinically, but also how are we asking about the status of their food needs, their housing needs, their transportation need. And we put together this playbook that included protocols and um, to support our clinicians, whether they're doctors, nurses, social workers, to make sure that we're asking about those issues that are so critical to the recovery of our members and also having the protocols in place to be able to connect those members to the services that they need. So if you wanna take a step back, Allison, for a moment and think about, um, you know, you diagnose someone with COVID-19 and we tell them you have to isolate for the next, you know, 10 days or so, or someone has been exposed to someone with COVID-19 and you tell them you have to quarantine for 14 days. Well, it's pretty much impossible to be able to isolate or quarantine for 14 days if you don't have enough income to allow you to have enough food for those two weeks that you're, you're being isolated in. Um, it's also impossible if you're experiencing homelessness or if you are a member of a family of five or seven living in a one-bedroom apartment to be able to isolate safely without increasing the risk of transmission of COVID-19 to your household members. So it becomes really important as we think about the recovery from COVID-19, not just to think about how do we treat COVID-19 clinically, but how do we provide all the support for people to be able to isolate safely, to quarantine safely, so we can prevent any further spread. So that's really the gist of why we put out the social health playbook. And at first, when we put it out, it was mostly targeted to our Kaiser Permanente uh, physicians, nurses, social workers. And we've realized very early on that a lot of other health systems uh, we're interested in figuring out, can we replicate these models? So we have a Kaiser Permanente specific playbook, and then we generalized that playbook and we put it on the website. We've made it available to any health system across the country that might be interested in adopting these types of protocols. Um, and, and now it's available to everyone uh, who's interested in it. I think I read that uh, your organization did a survey before the pandemic about how many people in the country were struggling with social needs. Can you talk about that? And also, are you surveying members currently to see where they are now as we get closer to the end of 2020? Absolutely. So before the pandemic hit, we've commissioned a national survey that have a representative sample of people living in this country across multiple geographies, multiple demographics, and we've asked people about their social needs. We've asked people about housing insecurity, food insecurity, transportation issues, social isolation, and your ability to pay your bills. 
And what we've learned from the survey, and mind you, this was a representative survey across the whole country, was 67% of people living in this country have had at least one unmet social need in the prior year. What we've also learned through that survey is one in four people have had an unmet social need that was a barrier to help. So if you think about that for a moment, one in four people in this country are having to make the tough choice between do I pay rent this month or do I pay my copay to get my prescription that I absolutely need? Um, one in four people are having to make the tough choice of do I buy food and put food at my dinner table or do I pay for my co-insurance or deductible for a surgery that I absolutely need? And you and I, Allison, know that food and rent are going to be addressed first before your health. So the, the linkage between social needs and health were so critical before the pandemic. And then what we've seen throughout the pandemic is that all of those needs have been exacerbated. We've seen exacerbation of uh, needs around food. We, you see the lines on the food banks across the country. We've seen more and more people feeling unsafe about their housing. We've seen tens of millions of people having um, um, insecurity about their jobs. And I mean, back in April, we had almost 20 million uh, people living in this country who've lost their jobs. And, and luckily, and, and you know, many of those were able to get their jobs back, but we still have over 10.1 million people out of work in this country. So the, the linkage between social health and, and health overall is so, so critical. And Allison, we've seen that within our own uh, members. So since the pandemic hit, we've been surveying our members on a regular basis. And in the most recent um, analysis of over 8,800 Kaiser Permanente members who are served, nearly 63% of those members said they have at least one social factor they needed help with. 63%. Actually, 36%, they said they had two or more factors affecting their well being, and even 21% have three or more unmet social needs. And on top of that, what we've also seen is the racially disproportionate impact of COVID 19 on communities of color extends also to patients' social circumstances. So for example, for that survey that we've um, done for our own members, we've noticed that food insecurity um, is five times higher in the Latinx member versus our white members. That's tw over 20% of our Latinx members um, were responding that they would appreciate an assistance with food versus 4.5% in our um, uh, white population. So clearly, um, those needs are exacerbated and we have to step up and support our members' social health if we'd want those members to optimize their health overall. Those are some really stunning statistics. Going back to the social health playbook, so let's say you have a community member who fits those descriptions and they have to quarantine for two weeks and they live in a food desert in California or one of the other seven states. Is is there a provider sending them a, a, you know, food for two weeks? Or if they're in unsafe housing, maybe someone who's in a domestic violence situation, are they helping them with that sort of thing? Absolutely. So very early on when we've realized that 
our members who are testing positive, we need to pay attention to them and make sure that we're addressing their clinical needs and their social health needs. And we need to support them in making sure they're not transmitting the virus to their household. So a few months ago, we've launched a program called, uh, that we've called Household Prevention Program. So the moment one of our members test positive across anywhere in the country, we engage them right away and we offer them the opportunity to connect with a coach that would support them on what would it take for them to isolate safely and to make sure that they're preventing the transmission within their household. So that coach could spend time with those, uh, with those members who are testing positive and their, um, um, their household to provide them with the, with the technical, the tactical steps that they need to put in place to make sure they're isolating safely. And we also, the moment someone tests positive and if they're interested, we sent them a um, an isolation kit that it goes in a package to their home that includes items to help them with that safe isolation at home. Things like masks, gloves, paper plates, silverware, uh, plastic silverware, stuff that we need is important to make sure that we're preventing the spread in the household. And if any of those members have any social needs, we've stood up uh, what we call the Thrive Local Connections Call Center, where we have agents who are standing by to support those members with any of the social needs that they've had um, and connect them directly uh, to those uh, to those services. So we're really excited about this program. We've seen significant uptick over the last uh, few weeks. And now as we're seeing more and more patients that getting diagnosed uh, with COVID, we're seeing more and more interest in tapping into this outstanding resource that we've made available to our members. Thrive, as I recall, is that in partnership with a technology partner? Absolutely. So um, a year and a half ago or so, we've partnered with an entity called Unite Us to build networks across our footprints of social providers to be able to support our members and others in, in the community. And if you think about it for a moment and take a step back to the history of Kaiser Permanente, Allison, you know, we were founded 75 years ago and we spent so much time building networks of primary care docs and specialists to support our members' physical health. We've built networks of counselors and therapists and psychiatrists to support our members' mental health. And now we're saying we need to build networks of social health providers to be available to support our members' social health needs and we need to integrate that the Kaiser Permanente way with the networks of primary care docs and specialists, mental health providers, and integrate all of that together to optimize the health and well-being of our members. So a year and a half ago or so, we partnered with Unite Us, and we're on a trajectory to build uh, 41 networks across our footprint in all of our states um, and in Washington, D.C., to be available to support those members. And now we've built already about 20 of those networks that are up and running, and we expect the rest to be built in the next year or year and a half. So I imagine those networks will give you a lot of information, a lot of granular information about what people are struggling with you know, in the next couple of years. How will you use that to measure where you're going, outcomes, success, challenges that may be 
Kaiser Permanente alone can't fix. You are absolutely right. Uh, one thing I'm really excited about the pl about the networks that we're building is they're all connecting on the same platform, digital platform, and that digital platform is connecting with our electronic health record system. So now all of a sudden our electronic health record system becomes a health record for physical health, for mental health, and for social health, which will give us uh, so much data to understand where the, needs, uh, where the needs are, are we able to meet those needs? How do we need to redirect some of our investments and community benefits in our community to fill in the gaps that we're seeing from data, honestly, that it's really hard to exist at scale right now across the country because there are so many different platforms that are being used. So the ability and our partnership with Unite Us to put all of this in all of our eight states in Washington, DC on one platform that fully integrated with our electronic health record system offers us the opportunity to be able to evaluate the impact that this type of effort is um, providing our members, the impact that it has on their health and well-being, the impact it has on their total cost of care, but equally as important to tell us a much more granular picture to your point about where the gaps are when it comes to meeting social needs for people living in this country. You mentioned mental health, and we know that one of the things we've all been reading about is that the substance use crisis in this country, which was starting to dip, is has been climbing. And has uh, Kaiser seen that as well in its own cases? Well, I have to tell you, I mean, one of the, in that survey that I've mentioned earlier, um, that we've started right after the pandemic hit, nearly 47% of our members surveyed since March said that the pandemic has negatively affected their emotional and mental health. The reality is um, we are seeing uptick across the country when it comes to mental health needs. Um, and we're seeing you know, more concerns about substance use. We're seeing more concerns with, with suicide and others. And we really need to, as a country, to pay attention very, very closely to that aspect of the implication of the pandemic. I know right now we're so focused on making sure that we're crushing this pandemic and it's absolutely the right thing to do. In a parallel path, we have to be really paying attention to the mental health implications of the pandemic. Is there anything else I forgot to ask that you want to mention? No, thank you. This was a, a great conversation. I'm really excited um, about the ability for us and for others across the country to step up the focus on social health, elevate the importance of paying attention to social health as part of our attention to overall health, because at the end of the day, there's no way we can optimize the health and well-being of people in this country if we're not paying attention to their social needs. There's no way we can expect someone to live a healthy life um, if they don't have a stable roof over their head. There's no, one, no way to expect that someone would be able to thrive if they don't have enough money to buy food and put food at the dinner table. And all of that becomes an integral part of the way we think about health. So thank you for taking the time for this conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much, Allison. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. To learn more about this issue, visit agmc.com or see the show notes. 
To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.